0: First Christian Church Achievement brings you the good news. And now, i Well, as we continue this series on commitment, I'm going to preach a sermon today and next week on commitment to fellowship. Today is going to be part one. I'd like to share with you some, some kids who were asked to write letters to God. Here's what some of them had to say. Dear God, it rained for our whole vacation and my father's mad. He said some things about you that people are not supposed to say, but I hope you will not hurt him anyway. your friend, but I'm not going to tell you who I am. <laughs> Dear God, is it true my father won't get to heaven if he uses his bowling words in the house? Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works for my brother. Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> dear God, did you really mean do unto others as you do unto you? Because if you did, then I'm going to fix my brother. And dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family. I can never do it. <laughs> sounds, some of that sounds familiar? So much of the perfect family, right? Just in case you have forgotten, we are a family in Christ. And there's more to this family than weekly reunions. God has given us five purposes to fulfill in his family. Every commandment given in the New Testament church can fall into five basic purposes. And that's not this part yet. So don't get excited because there's five things on you. you uh... Your notes for today. But here are those five basic purposes for the Lord's church. Number one is fellowship. Number two, discipleship. Number three, ministry or service. Number four, evangelism. And number five, worship. And I don't say those in any particular order that one is the most important thing. No, just those are the five things. The Lord's church, the people, the body of Christ, the basic purposes for us to do as God's children. Fellowship, discipleship, service or ministry, evangelism, and worship. And if we're to be a healthy church, we need to be a balanced church. We need to be purposeful about fulfilling these five purposes. And that's what commitment is all about. We are committed to God and his children. So far we talked about our commitment to the word of God, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Well, today we shall talk about our commitment to fellowship. You know, we read in Acts chapter 2 when the church was first uh, instated, if you will, when it came into existence. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, For they continued steadfastly or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to prayer. Now, we surely understand the apostles' teaching, the word of God. And we understand the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. And surely we understand prayer. But I think fellowship is the misunderstood child of this foursome. A kindergarten class was asked to bring a symbol of their faith to class for show and tell. Well, the first child, show and tell, said, I am a Muslim and this is my prayer rug. Another child stood up and said, I am Jewish, and this star of David is a symbol of my faith. My a third child stood up to show, to show and tell and stated that I am a Catholic, and this is my rosary. And the f- next child stood up and said, I am a Southern Baptist, and this is my casserole dish. <laughs> you know, see, to so many people, fellowship means... Potluck dinners or coffee and donuts. Our fellowship is a meat and meat. And that's not all bad. If we can't enjoy a meal together, then something is dreadfully wrong with us. But fellowship is so much more than food and chatting. To truly understand what fellowship means, let's start with the Greek word. It's found in the Strong's Exhausted Concordance, number 2842. And the Greek word is koinonia. Koinonia, the word means partnership, participation, a social connection. The same word is used for communicate, communion, distribution, and fellowship. In simple terms, this word means to share. So you and I are to be committed to sharing, to fellowship. Sharing what? Our first Sunday of the month meal? That's only a part of it. In other words, we are to share everything. We are to share our lives. I want to ask you this question. How can we grow in our commitment through fellowship? And the answer to that question is found in our text today. The book of Romans is an in-depth explanation of the gospel, doctrinal and practical. I want to read to you in Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verses 1 through 8. Paul wrote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Most Holy God and Heavenly Father, we're truly honored to be able to read the Word of God this morning and understand what unity is. What unity is about. And what we have a... a, We have a responsibility, Lord, to be committed to fellowship, to sharing and helping one another, looking out for one another. And that ingress so much, Lord. I pray today we'll be able to see five areas where we need to work on our fellowship and five areas next week, like uh, this week, Lord, that we study more about fellowship. Ten points that are very important to help in our unity and our our desire to serve you and to follow in your ways as a body. So help us today, Lord. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. This is a great passage on fellowship. If we're going to grow in our commitment to Christ and his church, through fellowship we need to follow these 10 important facts on fellowship. And we're going to talk about five of those today. And the first one is found here in verses 9 and 10. It's to love one another. Love one another. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. I find it most interesting that Paul starts out with love. I believe Paul's making this the anchor of fellowship. If we do not have love for one another, then what good is anything else he has to teach us about fellowship? Think about that. What good is it? If I don't love my brother, if I don't love my sister, we don't love one another, we have a serious problem in the church, don't we? Think about it. Is that not why God sent Jesus. Remember this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What? He so loved the world. You know, love drove God to send his Son to die for us. Love drove Jesus to the cross. Love for the Father and love for each of us. So what should drive us who drove the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit who's in us, then shouldn't love drive us in all things that we do? Maybe that's why we're told to love our enemies. That's interesting, isn't it? We're to love one another, and we're to love our enemies as well. It's the same love. Wow. That's a crazy, amazing thing to be love. Here Paul uses the Greek words for love. And first he says agape love. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial love like the love Jesus has for us. That's what he used there. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, that's the agape love. But then he says something a little different. He said be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That word there is Philadelphia. That's brotherly love, family love, the love that parents have for their children. First, this is the kind of love that he says is to be without hypocrisy. This is the kind of love that is caring about a brother and sister's well-being spiritually. There's no hypocrisy, no evil, a love that is clinging to good. And secondly, it's the kind of love that is devoted to each other. The King James uses this, kindly affectionate, which means sharing one's kindred or their relatives. We are all family in Christ and it should show in how we love one another. In John 15, 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you like one another as I have liked you. Oh, what's the word he used? That you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love each and every one of us? He went to the cross. That's what I think he's telling the disciples there. That's how much I want you to love one another. That you'll die for each other. Maybe it's not maybe it shows us why Jesus would get, you know, that like you know, the fingernails on the chalkboard kind of thing. Every time he heard the disciples talking about who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To the point, finally, on the night he would betray, Jesus took and became a servant to all of them and washed their feet. And I always laugh when I read that part because it's like he's gone about his business until he gets to Peter. And the other point that was with Peter, I'm thinking it was towards the end. Maybe the last one. And Peter says, what are you doing? Well, you're not going to wash my feet. I always wonder, what took Peter so long? I wonder if Jesus is going. To, you know how sometimes you get that situation where something's going on around you, you don't even notice. You're you're concentrator. You're talking to somebody, and somebody's doing something. You're not even paying attention. And I almost feel that's what happened that night. Jesus started washing their feet, and they're still arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and they're not even paying attention to what Jesus is doing until finally gets to Peter, and Peter's, what well, what's going on? What's this? Love one another as I have loved you. Well, you know, you just don't know that person across the aisle like I do. Then I guess you should love them more than I do, right? Because you know them. (laughs) Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But Jesus didn't give that stipulation in his command, did he? He just said, do it. He didn't say, do it only if. (laughs) There was a woman named Carol, who was a gracious clerk in a local Christian bookstore. She quite often referred to the church as the body. Well, one week, many devoted members of a local body had come to the bookstore to buy birthday cards for their preacher. And on the next Saturday, the preacher named John stopped at the store And he told Carol about the surprise party his congregation had given him the night before. And Carol's heart was touched. So spontaneously, she leaned forward and explained, Oh, John, I just love your body. (laughs) Well, she meant well. (laughs) It might just not have come out very well. But you think about it. True fellowship means... That we love one another unconditionally. Number two, honor one another above yourself. The second part of verse 10, in honor giving preference to one another. Honor means something weighty, valuable, of high esteem, dignity, and respect. Literally, this command says, lead the way for others in honor. And I like to think that means that you and I should be the champion for our brothers and sisters. We give preference. Two brothers, when they would, go to get, the, when they would get a candy bar, mom would say they had to share. You have to ever have to do that? You have a sibling you have to share with? Well, the bad thing is I had two siblings. So my piece was always much smaller to share one candy bar. But this was two brothers. Share one candy bar, right? The older brother would always do the quote-unquote splitting. He would take a candy bar and in in his hands and he'd break it in two. Then he would hold them up to see if they were identical. And if one piece was bigger than the other piece, he would bite that part off, then measure, make sure they were equal, and he'd give his part to his brother. Well, this went on for a few weeks. And then one day they had another candy bar, and the little brother got the candy bar first. And said, I'll do the measuring out today. And that day he got the bigger piece. Because he took his bite first. Now you and I should be willing to give preference. Give up the bigger piece, so to speak. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor comes humility. And I think what that's telling us is we should be willing to humble ourselves to bring honor to our brothers and sisters. You see, God's word commands us to honor and respect others. And when I realize where I have come from, the gutter of sin, then I should never see myself as better than someone else. It doesn't matter how much I make, my house, my car, who my family is, what color my skin is, where I work or where I went to school. What matters is that I am saved by God's grace and am to honor others above myself. Absolutely. And that's the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter who walks through that door, what color they are. I'm to honor them better than myself. I heard a preacher say this many times. He said, We're just beggars who found the bread. There's a lot of hungry people out there that need the bread of life. And if we're beggars who found the bread, that doesn't change our status. We're still beggars. We just have the bread that they needed too. True fellowship means that we honor one another. Number three, we are to worship with one another. Verse 11 and 12, not lagging in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. You know, these are all aspects of exciting, passionate, spirit-filled worship. Worship draws us closer to God, closer to each other. You see, worship promotes fellowship. Look at these great words of character in worship. Not lagging behind in diligence. In other words, giving a brother or sister a helping hand to keep going. Fervent in spirit, excitement, zeal. We're worshiping the Almighty as a family. Serving the Lord, the great Creator who calls you my child. Rejoicing in hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear. Persevering in tribulation, not quitting even when troubles come, and devoted to prayer, praying for each other with devotion or commitment. And some of those we might not even think as part of worship, but they are. Those are things we can do each and every day that matters to our life and how we fellowship with the brethren. You ever see that as, as part of fellowship when you come in here and we get to sing hymns together? You ever see stand beside somebody in worship who just really couldn't carry a tune very well? I always have to laugh. Sometimes people have to stand or stand beside me when I when I sing. Yeah, I might sound okay on some songs, but there are just some songs that. I just seem to miss that note kind of thing. Or, or I get something in, in my throat and it kind of cracks you down and It's like... The first time you hear it, you might want to giggle, right? Oh, well. Then you realize, no. And maybe that's why the scripture says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Because, you know, God doesn't sit there taking notes. Boy, you really sounded bad that week, Tommy. You tried to sing no songs. No. He's excited that I'm worshiping my brothers and sisters. In fervent experience, you know, that excitement, that zeal to encourage one another and serving the Lord and rejoicing in our hope. Keep reminding ourselves, Jesus is coming back one day. We have hope. We're going to be in heaven for an eternity with one another. If we can't get along together here, what's heaven going to be like? <laughs> You're going to go to God and say, uh, I'm happy to be here, but you know my brother in Christ who was with me for 30 years there in Chiefland? Can you see him way down the table? Because I don't want to spend an eternity with him. <laughs> He's your roommate. There you go. And God says, you're going to be there until you learn to get along. You see, all these wonderful things, persevering in tribulation, that's all part of worship. And devoted to prayer. You see, how can we best worship and serve the Lord? It's by being zealous and burning and boiling with desire for Him. Being joyful and hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Because true fellowship means that we worship with one another. Number four. To be gracious to one another. Verse 13. Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. It contributing to the needs of the saints. Guess what the word here for contributing is in the Greek? Any guesses? <laughs> Koinonia. Here we see the fellowship, togetherness, and common bond of the family of God. This word was actually fairly new to the early church. According to Robert Shannon, in his book, One Thousand Windows, it says, Christian fellowship is so unique The first believers searched for a word to describe it. And they found the solution in an old word no longer in use. They dusted off what word to be used? Koinonia. They knew no ordinary word could describe the relationship that existed among believers. Koinonia, to me, that word means unity. The first church had said they had all things in common. They shared their meals. They went from house to house sharing their meals. All things in common. You know, we're told to to practice hospitality. Friendliness to strangers. Pursue, chase after hospitality. Now, Paul goes beyond friendliness to the saints to friendliness to strangers. We need to be gracious to one another and hospitable to those who come that we don't know. You know, I remember when I was in the Navy, I had this lieutenant. He was my balls. And as a side note, he had a, a Jaguar that he took me for a ride in one day. And we were really breaking the speeding law you know, on the base because we he got up to like 100 to show me how fast this car would go. But it's like, okay, lieutenant, that's okay. You're driving, not me. So you can afford to pay the fine. I couldn't. But the point I'm trying to make is, It was almost Thanksgiving time, and right near his house was a Chinese restaurant, carry out place that he frequented all the time. And he got to know the people who owned it and cooked the food, and it was getting close to Thanksgiving. A few days before, and he went in there to get some Chinese food, and that's all he really knew about these people. But he invited them over to his house for Thanksgiving. And they accepted. And he said it changed their whole relationship, one from just being a business type relationship to where he started getting to know them and when he would go in, he said the service he got after that was amazing, how they treated him. They would make things for him and have them ready for him to give them that weren't even on the menu. Because of how grateful they were that he had done that and made them part of his family you know, that's just something about the friendliness. We're to have the strangers. Now I'm not saying you have to go out here and invite everybody in for Thanksgiving, but it's how we treat people. When we're about out and about. Because you can find all kinds of illustrations out there the way some people treat others. And it should make you, you know, just cringe. All the, just this week, things I read and uh, heard in the news about road rage and, and so on and so forth. people treat each other. We're not to be like that. You know, a church newsletter mentions a man who visited 18 different churches on successive Sundays trying to find out what the churches were really like. In every church, he was neatly dressed and followed the same routine of giving ample opportunity for fellowship. Then he used a scale to rate the reception he received. These are the points he awarded. Ten points for a smile from a worshiper. Ten for a greeting from someone sitting nearby. A hundred for an exchange of names. Two hundred for an invitation to have coffee. Two hundred for an invitation to return. A thousand for an introduction to another worshiper. And two thousand for an invitation to meet the preacher. On this scale, eleven of the eighteen churches earned fewer than one hundred points. And five actually received less than twenty. The conclusion, the doctrine may be biblical, the singing inspirational, the sermon uplifting, but when a visitor finds nobody who cares whether he's there, he is not likely to come back. I mean, I use this as an illustration. I don't think we fall in any of those categories. I think we are a good fellowship in congregation when new people come in. And I've always commended uh, you people for doing that. But I will mention, Leoni and I went to one congregation in my home state of Pennsylvania, and we walked from the parking lot past the praise band who was standing outside. Nobody said good morning. We walked through the front door. The greeter never said good morning. All they did was hand us a pamphlet. We walked. I don't. I'm the kind of person. I don't sit in the back row. When I go visiting anywhere, I like to sit up front. Sometimes it drives Leotie crazy. He says, where are you going? It's like, we're going up there. (laughs) We sat in the third row. Come to find out, there were two elders sitting in front of us. There were people sitting beside us and behind us. And the preacher, or the leader, got up there and started the worship. And believe me, we sat there probably for ten minutes before the worship started. Plenty of time for somebody to come up and say, good morning. They started, then after our first song or two, why don't you take this time to say good morning to everybody? So we stood up. Everybody around us is, good morning brother, good morning hugs and everything. And we just stood there. They got back up there to start. We sat back down to finish the worship. Funny thing that the preacher's sermon was all about how we handle new people and the people in the community. <laughs> and what I left, I thought, isn't it interesting what he preached on? And like I said, two elders standing, sitting right in front of us. Nobody said a word. When we left, all the preachers said, is good morning, it's nice to see you today. Didn't ask us our name, where we're from, nothing. It's the only time I think I've ever written a letter to a preacher. And I did him a long letter about what he preached on and how we were treated. And he sent a long letter back apologizing, saying, obviously we have a lot to work on and it needs to start with me. And he went from there. Whether they did or not, I don't know. But it left me with an illustration of this. You know, how are we reacting when we see people? Whether we know them or not. Do we jump at the chance to say good morning, give them a smile, tell them how good it was to see you this morning, so on and so forth. I know we do, but it never hurts to be reminded of those things, just to make sure we're doing the things we In contrast, I will say this. I went to a conference at the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and like 25,000 people on a... Oh, On a Saturday and Sunday night. Well, Saturday night, that's besides the point. But anyway, the Sunday, 25,000 people will come in there to worship. And I can guarantee you, my friend Clyde and I, we were attending a seminar through Saturday. We stayed for Sunday worship in the morning. We parked our car. By the time we got out of the car, there was a person in the parking lot saying good morning. All we did was park our car, but they were making sure people parked. Said, good morning. We walked across the parking lot. Somebody greeted us before we even got to the greeter at the door. We got to the greeter at the door. They put a big old smiley face on us. Saying, you know, whatever it said. And said, how good it is to have you this morning. We walked in. Then somebody hands us a pamphlet. Said, good morning. We were greeted five times by different people before we even got to our seat. On a congregation of 25,000 people that we never got greeted in a congregation that had maybe about 60 or 70 people that morning. Just a thought. You know it's all our attitude, isn't it? And how we handle things like that. You see, we need to be gracious to everybody. It comes through not just those we know. We need to practice and pursue hospitality. We need to be purposeful about our greeting time and our fellowship time. And every one of us needs to be a greeter, making everyone else feel welcome. And I know we all have things to do following worship, but we should also make it a point to greet a few people before we rush back out into the world. And I know we do, but it doesn't hurt just to be recognized that and to encourage one another as they're getting to face the toughness out there in the world. True fellowship means being gracious to One another, and then number five, do not be spiteful toward one another. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Verse 17, repay no evil, no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Verses 19 through 21: beloved, do not avenge your, yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Uh, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. William Classen said the coals on the head may refer to a ritual in Egypt in which a person showed his repentance by carrying a pan of burning charcoal on his head. Helping rather than cursing an enemy may cause him to be ashamed and penitent. Ella Wheeler Wilcox said a pat on the back is only a few vertebrae removed from a kick in the pants but is miles ahead in results. And Martin Luther King Jr. once said, "I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear." You now, when we're hurt by those around us, we want to hurt them back. We want to get revenge. We feel as if we have a right to be angry or bitter. The answer to that is, do we? No, not at all. But all that does is bring all that does is bring more pain and harm. It's like they get to hurt you twice. Bitterness, brothers and sisters, is a cancer. You can't try to put it in remission. But if you don't deal with it, it will come back to haunt you. You can't just put it in remission. It's still there. And if we're going to grow in our commitment through fellowship, we need to let God seek revenge. And we need to not be spiteful toward one another. We can't play God or His wrath may be redirected at us. You see, true fellowship means not being spiteful toward one another. In closing, I want to use this illustration if I might. This is 10 signs you live in the year 2022. You just tried to enter your email password on the microwave. You have a list of 15 phone numbers to reach your family of three. (laughs) You call your son's cell phone to let him know it's time to eat. He texts you back from his bedroom, what's for dinner? Your daughter sells Girl Scout cookies via her website. You chat several times a day with a stranger from South Africa, but you haven't spoken with your next door neighbor in a year. You pull up in your own driveway and use your cell phone to see if anyone is home. Every commercial on television has a website address at the bottom of the screen. You never leave your house without your cell phone, which you didn't have the first 20 or 30 years of your life. Number nine, instead of us using cash, money, we use a credit or debit card or PayPal. At last, our kids can't write legibly or even know what in cursive is, but they are world record holders in texting. I'll be honest, that texting thing gets me. i watch some of the people in there. It's like they have four thumbs because nobody can text that fast with two fingers. I'm amazed. It takes me in. <laughs> what is happening in our world? I'll tell you, we're losing the sense of personal fellowship and communication. That's one thing I know I've talked to people about during COVID when you had to put on the mask. Suddenly people didn't want to talk to each other. All you could see was the eyes. Rodney Buchanan from Mount Vernon, Ohio wrote this. I often think of the stories my grandma told me about the Depression era. When people would pull their soup beans and eat at each other's homes. And times were hard, but there was a closeness among people that we do not experience today. They worked together, ate together, and actually talked to their neighbors. Even the architecture of homes was different. We lived in a large city, Indianapolis, but our home was like many others. It had a front porch. We had chairs and a swing. I can still remember being on grandma's porch swing and watching people walk by on the sidewalk. Everyone said hello because everyone knew each other. And sometimes they would stop and talk or even come up on the porch and, and sit a spell. And grandma would bring out lemonade. And almost all the homes had porches and people sat outside in the evening since they did not have air conditioning. And friends would stop by unannounced to visit. There was a connection among neighbors and families. And I remember that very well in my youth. And some would say, well, those times have passed. We're a different society now. And sure, maybe... But is that necessarily a good thing? See, we have lost the art of fellowship and commitment toward one another. Brothers and sisters, somehow we need to restore the true meaning of fellowship in our lives and in our churches. And when people lose touch with one another and can't make meaningful communication and sharing with one another, something is wrong. And people are not drawn to churches that have little fellowship. We need to be committed to fellowship, Christ church, Depends on it. Really. Like I said, we I remember this from the very beginning. How friendly you all were when I and Leoni first came the very first time. We got greeted by a number of people. So much so that when we came back a few months later because we moved here, I, we walked in and Pharaoh's Sweet remembered who we were. And we told him we had just moved here and Pharaoh said this to me. He goes, we prayed for you. So you don't even know me. He said, we prayed for you that the Lord would send somebody like you. A young preacher that would come and help us here. That's humbling. To know you were the answer to someone's prayer like that. And here we are. What kept us here? Well, for one, we we're committed to the, the Lord Jesus and his children. And the church. But the other thing kept us here was how we were just surrounded by so many people so quickly. A few weeks later we moved into our home. And I believe there were six or eight of the men of the church came to help us move in that day. In our house. And they hardly knew who we were. So I commend you all for the job you've done over the years Reaching out to people who come in here. And I hope we continue to do that. But also to recognize our fellowship is just as important out there and how we treat those people. Because they still need Jesus. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, I would love to sit down and talk with you. Because it starts with your faith, that you need to have faith. You need to willingly repent. In other words, you want to turn away from that sinful life to follow the Lord. Your faith leads you to confess the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And your faith leads you to be baptized, immersed in the watery grave, to have your sins washed away and to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then, wow, then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can allow your faith in action as you walk faithfully the rest of your days towards heaven that hope of the future I talked about earlier.